there is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your co-host, Kip Bonder, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Kieran Flanagan. And today, we are going to debate, we are going to argue, we are talking today about the five marketing misconceptions that kill your company. And Kieran, I came up with a list that I want you to react to. So that's the whole thesis for today's show. But before we get to today's show, like this week is your first week as a full-time CMO at Zapier. How's it going, man? What's it like being like a new CMO in a, a new company? Like, what's that feel like, dude? Well, employee onboarding is a necessity. But you hate it. <laughs> I haven't had to do it in a while. I, th- I think coming back to one of the businesses that we pitch for AI, it's really given me a fresh perspective on onboarding as a remote employee. I yes. think Zapier do it better than most, but there's a real like interesting business to be built in AI for employee onboarding. Oh yeah. Like, because everyone's going through a consistent experience and having some sort of AI assistant to just like onboard you through that, answer the questions. Like, I'm pretty sure you can train it if you have the right data models in place. So I, it kind of has reinforced that that is a good business to invest in. All right, so being a new employee is, is tough. But having a beginner's mind is awesome. Well, congrats on your first full-time week as CMO of Zapier. Excited that you were able to peel some time away for the pod because we have some fun stuff that we're going to cover today. Okay, so Kieran, I have come up with what I think are five extremely common marketing misconceptions and mistakes that people make out there that actually kill their brand, kill their company, kill their marketing. Can I give you my first one? Yes. Okay, the first one is that Too many leaders and managers and team members think that there's only one solution to a problem, that there's only one possible right solution. And what I mean by this is that they get very pigeonholed in like a traditional way of thinking and that I must obsess about getting this one path right versus thinking through what are all the different ways we could solve this problem and what is basically the cheapest, easiest fastest to get done. And you save real time and iteration when you think about all the possible solutions versus just obsessing about one solution. Do you agree or disagree? I agree. And I can give you some context. This one is actually pretty interesting because it's something you brought up before. And I'm obviously experiencing it right now, which is one of the things I've been really mindful of of going into a new role in a new company is not to say and not to even think that, oh, I've seen this problem before and this is how we solved it at HubSpot. Yeah. And Actually, if you think about tech, you made this point before, which is like there's a selection of problems that are very like well known across all tech companies. Like a lot of problems tech companies have in common, right? There's a lot of commonality of the problems. The problems are very common. The solutions are very uncommon, right? But the solutions all become the same because you have a merry-go-round of people who have all seen the way that that problem has been solved, go into a different company and say, well, we solved it like this, so this is the right way to solve it. The classic example of this, right, is that like, if you look at how everybody does mergers and acquisitions, acquiring companies and technology, for example, they all do it the way Salesforce does it because literally every person that does mergers and acquisition in the Valley basically did emanate at Salesforce first, right? right? And it becomes very myopic. Not that that way is bad, but... 
there's real, real upside and real opportunity in diverging from the way everybody else does something, right? I think actually, if you think about the Venn diagram in terms of people you can hire, I still think there is value in hiring the person that has seen the game before, has seen the playbook before. I think that's totally not as important as everybody else does. Let me run at the point. That's (laughs) one of the circles. And I think what what actually happens is most people just think of that circle. Oh, I wanna Mm -hmm. hire someone who's seen this before. I actually think what you want is like someone who's seen it before in some form, And then the other circle has no biases towards solutions and lives in the middle. Because there's definitely value in having seen the way other companies have done something that another company is trying to do. But I think what actually holds those people back is they are biased towards the solutions that those companies used versus bringing that experience and knowledge in and then being very unbiased in the way that that company should solve similar problems. And I think that's the sweet spot is the intersection of those two things. I disagree with you. And here's why. For what we are doing here, when you're looking to hire someone, if you are hiring somebody fully based on experience, they're either going to do one of two things, both of which are bad. They're either going to come in and solve your problem just like they've solved it in the past, or they're going to be so bored of solving it how they solved in the past, (laughs) they're going to overcomplicate it and not be interested in actually solving it again and be bored and unengaged and not have the same passion and urgency to solve that problem because they've already done it before. If you are a person who has been in a leadership role at a company from zero to 50 million, that is a very different thing than being a leader in a company that's 100, 200 million to a billion. I agree with that. That's what I mean by seeing the playbook before. I guess it depends what altitude, you, when we say that, do we mean? You need a baseline of experience. I baseline. think what we're both saying is one of the misconceptions is that people over-index on experience. That's first and foremost. And the big point we're trying to make here is that you don't think about the multiple solutions to a problem. And so like, for example, Kieran, you're going to Zapier. You know a lot about how we did SEO and and acquisition at HubSpot. If you just went in and repeated that playbook like for like, you get some benefit, but wow, you're going to leave a bunch of benefit on the table because you're not going to solve it as it needs to in that new situation, right? And what we want people to do, I think what my call to action is, is like, if you have a big, hairy problem that is hard to solve, Think about multiple solutions and know that there is more than just one possible solution to that problem. The other thing is most teams outside of maybe product, marketing, and growth don't actually understand how to run minimal viable versions of things. Yes. Right? So I I was talking to a founder who I won't name names, but he's an incredible founder, one of my favorite founders. And he was like trying to think about how does he bring an experimental growth approach to every department, like finance, HR. Mm -hmm. And he was like really struggling with any examples of companies who run kind of the growth experimental minimal viable version outside of the marketing, the growth, like that all worked really well. Even in sales, I think like in sales, there's a little bit of that, but most people struggle with how do I actually have a selection of solutions and minimal viable version them and decide which one's the right one. Well, it's hard because, you know, you got to make your payroll on time, right? Like you got to hit your quarterly number. There are some things that are just much harder to take risk on. And the ability to have a minimum vial product and approach to something is directly correlated to how much risk you can take, right? right? If it is a low risk situation, you can have a minimum viable solution to that very easily. If it's high risk, like paying all your employees on time, you know, doing all of your financial auditing and reporting, all of those things. (laughs) Different incremental. That's pretty hard to change. It's not very fungible, right? But Kieran, this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about, where this founder is like, cool, I want to apply this testing growth framework to the entire company. 
Yeah. That's the wrong f-ing thing to do. Because again, it's like, oh, he's assuming or she is assuming in this case, that is the best way to solve every problem. Mm. And it's not yeah, yeah. It's the best way to solve some problems, but it's not the best way to solve every problem. And that that is fundamentally the point I am trying to make. So that was actually a perfect example. Yeah. Okay. Okay. want to go to the next one because I think this is going to be a great Let's go. debatable topic. This is going to be the most controversial one today. For everybody watching, you're going to be mad at me. Following best practices is the number one way to kill your marketing. I've said it. I'm going on record. We do not want to follow best practices. And I have a litany of reasons why. And I'm going to go through them. And then Kieran, please argue with me. So reason number one, why you don't want to follow best practices. Nobody wants to be a follower. You want to be a leader. If you're following everybody else, you're going to get diminished returns on all the work you do because somebody else is getting that. They're getting the returns that are much greater by being first. Being first in marketing matters. That is where arbitrage happens and that is where things go. Following best practices also kills your marketing because you have a misconception of what good looks like. Somebody has some benchmark out there that has told you like, oh, your email can't have more than a 3% click-through rate ever. And so you're just like, you're at 2%. You're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm two and a half. I'm a lot better. It's like, no, no. How do you get that sucker to 10%? How do you completely change how you are thinking about that? And the people who follow the marketing best practices out there iterate in an insignificant way towards goals that are by definition average. Benchmarks are average, right? Like if you were like, hey, I'm trying to get to a benchmark, you are saying, I am trying to be average. I'm not here trying to be average. I don't think anybody out there is trying to be average. That is why I think following best practices will kill your marketing over time. Go care. I actually don't disagree with some of the things you said, but there's two ways that I would look at best practices. Please, please. There's one of them, which is best practices, which are somewhat guiding principles. There's just certain ways things work. Like for me, best practices- Principles aren't practices, right? Those are two different things, I would argue. let's go through what best practices are. Best practices are are just like the agreement of the crowd that these certain things have worked. No, no, I think best practices, let me try to refine this a little bit because you're, you're doing the right thing and trying to define this for everybody listening. I think best practices are playbooks with benchmarks associated with them. You take these steps- and if you take these steps, you will get in this range of results. Yeah, that's a, I was thinking of best practices, which is there's an agreed upon set of best practices in the way that you do email marketing or search. Yeah, or but is, isn't that exactly what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, you do plain text email for these things. You do HTML, templated email with these types of titles for, the, for newsletters, like all of these things. Like those are just playbooks, right? But they are the way that things work. That's what I'm saying. Like there's certain best practices that are just marketing is the way it is. Like search is the way it is. Paid advertising is the way it is. And there's just like certain practices that work within those channels. What actually is the thing that tips you over the balance is finding ways to do those things much, much better. Like at at HubSpot, one of the things that we were really renowned for was the search and content. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that we didn't follow the best practices. No, we invented a lot of our own best practices there. We were leaders more than we were followers. I'm coming to that part. I would say that there's foundational best practices, which is like there's certain things that you do that you have to do for Google. There's certain things you have to do when you're running your paid advertising. You have to create campaigns in a certain way. You have to do targeting in a certain way in search. There's certain things that just like our best practices. What we did was we actually found the things that truly mattered and then iterated, refined in them and actually extrapolated those best practices. We didn't stop there. We were like, okay, well, this thing works, but what if we actually went 10 feet deeper? 
went to the extreme on this one. I think we invented some new playbooks and new best practices. And that's what I'm saying. You don't want to follow best practices. You either want to create best practices or you want to diverge highly from best practices. The reason I'm saying this is like, I believe most success in life is how far you can divert from the mean, right? How far you can get from being average. And when you think about any of those examples you gave, Kieran, there is a way to do it wildly different. The problem with that is if you do it wildly different than everybody else, your predictability goes way down. It may be 10 times better than what everybody else is doing. It may be 10 times worse. And the reason everybody follows best practices is to have predictability. To start with predictability. What I'm telling you is predictability is a code word for being average. And that predictability, especially if you're not agile, erodes over time and actually starts to decline. And in marketing, if you are solving for predictability over what I would call magnitude, the potential highest possible outcome of a situation, then you are bound to fail. You you won't fail in the short term, but you will fail in the long term. And that is why marketing and marketing leaders change jobs so often is because they focus on predictability that gets them 12 to 18 months. And then they got to go switch to a different job because the predictability playbook runs out. So I would say this point is the problem is if you only do best practice, my point is like you start with best practice or some version of best practice, and then you augment them. And I'll give you a good good example, like email, right? Email marketing Mm -hmm. being done for so long that there's just these established best practice, like audience segmentation, right? That's one of the best practices. You should segment your audience in certain ways. And there's a size of audience that matters and all those types of things. That is it. Like me starting with, well, I won't do segmentation. I will either email everyone individually or I will just email the entire audience. Let's play on this. I'm going to interrupt you because I think it's important. Like, So in that example, let's look at the email segmentation example, because that is something that everybody who is a marketing-minded person, whether you're a marketer or not, totally understands and has felt that pain. I think you could make two arguments there. You can make arguing that segmenting your email list is not a best practice. It's like, it's a principle, just like something that has to be done. And then how you segment, what data you use and all of that stuff. There are lots of best practices around that and there are ways to innovate on that. I'd also say that there is a way here where you're like, no, actually, I'm not going to segment my email list at all. What I'm going to do is find a way to personalize the content at scale through, you know, some type of programmable content, AI, what have you, to personalize that. And I'm going to build a new best practice where we don't have to spend all of our time doing segmentation. And we instead obsess about the content specificity and personalization at that way, which is another type of segmentation, but it's a different way of doing it. Yeah. I think both of those outcomes are possible. I think if you adopt best practices and that's where you stop, then you're bound to get very average results. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. This is the one for me that really hits me hard. The thing to check for there is if you have people in your team and you're like, well, you know, this is the way X did it. This is the way that I've heard. Yes. Yeah. Give everybody the phrases. Go ahead. You just hear people refer to, well, this is the way we did it here, or this is the way this brand did it, or this is the way it works. I think you want to start with like, what is the best version of this for us? Why is this suitable for the problem that we have? And how does it fit play into the strengths that we have? And why is this the most valuable thing for our customers? Why is this the most valuable thing for right? our customers? Right, like what right. Like what, why is this the most valuable thing for our customers? Okay, we got to keep going or this is going to be like a two-hour show. All right, number three here, trying to be great at everything. This is a mistake, a misconception. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of marketers and marketing-minded people who try to be great at everything for a lot of reasons because it's cool and they want to like be overachievers. 
because they're interested in doing a bunch of things. They have a little ADD, shiny object syndrome. The third one, which I think is a big one, is like their CEO is yelling at them and she's like, (laughs) hey, I need you to be great at these things over here. And, you know, we're not as good as this competitor, this other thing. Right. And the reality is like that is the the quickest way to fail is trying to be great at everything. I think. What do do you think? One thing I will say is that tech, maybe in all forms of business, we have created career paths that take people who are incredible at something and making them into a generalist of everything. Right. (laughs) Like, oh, I like this. Even if you think about us, right? Like yeah. you and I or people, we started as being great at a certain part of marketing. Like you had written a book, you yeah. were incredible at content. That's really what you started in HubSpot. And then you went on to become CMO. And, I, and yet you're still good, great at those things, but you don't get to practice them yeah. day in, day out, right? Totally. Like becoming a CMO, you have to be much more strategic. You have to be much more a generalist. Same for all of us. And it is pretty interesting, right? Like there's a really great graphic someone put up on LinkedIn, which is like, you know, take great person, get 18 months out of them, force them to be, you don't force them because everyone wants to be manager, make them Mm -hmm. be manager and have to start all over again, right? Like have to find that person again. And you have just this like ways of these, because we've had incredible ICs at HubSpot and I've had worked with incredible ICs elsewhere as well. And they are just worth, for the most part, they're way more valuable than most managers. (laughs) Like like, 100%. But they all want to be, the career path is like management. And then the career path is like director and the career path. And the more you go up, the more general you need to be because your team size grows. And I think that's one interesting thing. As a culture, this is one of my hot button issues. As a culture and a society, we've demonized trades. We've elevated, you know, four-year degrees that people who have business degrees or literature degrees or all those things. And those are great. But we've vilified the electricians, the plumbers, the carpenters, all of those things. And I want to tell you here and now, marketing is a trade. It is a trade. Hot off the press, tweet kip. No, but it's not. I don't know anybody who's getting like a really highly credible four-year degree that's coming out and has the marketing expertise that they need. They are getting the marketing expertise they need through practicing that craft and that yeah, trade. Marketing right? are tradespeople with just huge inflated egos. I would say marketers <laughs> and salespeople are both tradespeople. It, it is. I, I, I fundamentally believe that. And so we cannot take tradespeople and then try to brainwash them to be part of like the managerial class. Right. We need less management overhead we and we need path. more tradespeople who have like a real path there. And that is one of the things I believe deeply. A real path to earn great money when never having to touch management. Yes. And I really think if you did that, I've met some ICs who always wanted to stay IC. There's one person, oh, yeah. I, again, I don't want to say their name in the we podcast. We don't want to call her out, but we, don't, we know who we're talking about. We know who we're talking about. We've had her on the <laughs> podcast. And she's like, I call her, like, she's just a game changer, right? Whenever I refer to her, yeah. I would say, oh, yeah, like, because someone was asking me, like, she's a game changer. You put her in anything, she's just going to, she's going to change up the game. She's going to make a huge impact. For people like that, companies need to figure out how to give them the prestige yes. and the monetary rewards to keep them doing the thing they truly love doing without dragging them into making them, oh, well, like, if you really want to build your career, like, even though you don't really like management, but like, you kind of have to do management to get where you want to go. We'd be much better off. Well, that's that's what I love about this pod is because we take an idea and we build on that idea. Like I started with the idea of like, oh, marketers are trying to just be good at too much and that's killing their their success. That's true. But you actually came up and made that way better, which is like, oh, actually what happens is we are making marketers, like an individual person, try to be like a manager generalist great at everything versus just being a truly focused craftsperson that is remarkable right. at the work they're doing. And I think that is way more true and actually has a way bigger benefit. I think the less of like 
the managerial class that you have and the more of the tradespeople you have in the future, the better off you're going to be. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest-growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love the show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Trades people, the people who truly know their disciplines are just like game changers. What do trade people do? They build and create things. That's what great marketers do. They build and they create, right? And they love the practice of it. Like one of the reasons you and I do this pod is because we want the practice of making things. Right. Like we don't want to be like that professional, like manager class. Like, quite frankly, I'm not that great of a manager. So like, it wouldn't go that well <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know? I, I need this. Uh, right? I'd, be, uh, I'd be in deep, deep trouble, yeah. you know? And so I think that's what's really important. One of the takeaways, even if you go through the management path, and I've told people this, the bigger your team gets, you can make a great career and be incredibly successful if management is just the thing you're super passionate about. Oh yeah, about. totally. But I, I think if that. you are truly passionate about marketing and certain disciplines and try to keep yourself doing those things, you're going to be much happier. Even if you go yeah. down the management path, like find ways. So one of my ways was to every quarter to like nearly act like one of the team members under a certain mm -hmm. couple of projects and like Same. assume that a large portion of the team is fine and have really great people who can yeah. manage those things. And then like, oh, and these things, I'm going to act like a team member. Like on the HubSpot Media build out, we bought the hustle, like really trying to act like a team member and try to participate in that and be involved in all of the things I enjoy doing. And so I think that's one way you can keep your finger on those things, even if you go into management. You can build a great career being a managerial expert, right? And being right. a truly remarkable manager. The point I am making, the prediction that I am making is that the number of roles that will be available for people who are exceptionally amazing managers will be much smaller than the number of roles available for truly exceptional craftspeople in the future when it comes to marketing, right? And I so if you're, if you're thinking about what skills you want to build, I just want you to be clear on where the like distribution of the opportunity is. Right. Okay, Kieran, we, we kind of, we did a little pre-talk on my next one, which is around hiring solely for experience. We, we talked a little bit about this in number two, but this is most companies marketing dies because they don't have the right people to do the work. Like we were just talking about that. Like there are true 10X people out there that are just game changers when it comes to the work that they're going to do. So since we talked about this a little bit, like I would love your take on, there are a ton of people out there right now who regardless of this crazy economy, are still going to be hiring some people this year. Like what would you tell them to avoid the like hiring solely based on experience trap? There is value in the seeing the movie before but only if they are able to detach themselves and try to run the exact same movie, right? Like in Hollywood, in movies, there's only three stories. Yes. And they just kept getting retold in different formats. And there's value in being an incredible part of telling them one of those stories, but being able to adapt it to tell it in a new way. 
and that's really the kind of person you're looking for, which is like, oh, like I have seen this story. I get the kind of fundamental parts of why this succeeded and failed in the last company. And I actually think, you know, what could we have done better is, yes. is the most valuable part of it. Like mm-hmm. I was talking to someone, one of my first Zapier conversations and I was like, well, you know, I don't want to tell you how we did this, but I can tell you like some of the things we probably should have done sooner or wish we had it done. Mm-hmm. And maybe that would be like interesting for you more than like, oh, well, this is, you know, the way that we did it. It's like how you use that knowledge. And I do think the other part of this is give people a chance. Yeah. Like maybe they don't have the exact experience or background you're looking for, but they are, you can just sense it from, and this does take talent to hire these kind of people. Totally. I will tell you some of the best people that I've ever had on my team. There was two roles in particular. And I was thinking I should go ahead and hire a senior leader for this thing. Or like I had this person who had never really led something as big as that. Maybe I should give them the chance. And I knew they were just like, awesome. Right. Yeah. And they always turn out to be the best decisions I made. Agree. Like give that person who really wanted that shot a shot based upon the fact that they were talented. They learned really fast. They were incredible at just going out and sourcing information and getting better at stuff. They were all of that proactive, very determined to succeed, non-territorial, just wanted to win, really great work with other people. And so there's some fundamental things if that person has it. For the most part, if you put them into any scenario, they're probably going to succeed. Totally. The best decisions I've ever made is betting on highly capable people. Exactly. Right. Versus trying to play it safe and betting on experience. And to kind of close this one out, the last thing in this is like, if you're looking for experience, the reason this, I want to explain to everybody while hiring solely based on experience, experience is an important factor in life. But if you're just looking at experience as the sole criteria, what happens is you're like, oh, well, that automatically shrinks the pool of people down you're looking at because, you know, you're looking at a certain subset of companies. And if you're going to go higher from those companies, you got a couple problems. The really best people at those companies, those companies are going to keep, right? You're already by nature taking probably the bottom 80% and not getting the top 20%. Am I wrong? <laughs> I just think of all the people who listen to this who have joined <laughs> I think it's a good point. But what is untrue about what I'm saying? I think hiring directly from your competitors is extremely dicey. I think it is one of the stupidest things you can do is hiring directly from your competitors. That's a whole nother show for a whole nother day. The other thing is, and, and you and I have come across this, Kieran, you and I probably had more conversations than we can count about this next thing, which is like, oh, we're evaluating somebody's experience, doing something, and they were on a team with five other people. And that team did really successful yeah. and yeah. great work. How do you assess what that person contributed to that team is very, very hard. Very hard. The bigger the team, the harder it is. And so you have to really be willing to go and back channel and dig. And if you do that, you can figure out the role everybody on that team played and get that answer. But too often, if you're out there just like, using experience as your primary filter, you'll be like, oh, this person was on this really successful team. They've got to be good. You don't know if they were the leader of the team, the worst person on that team, anywhere in between, right? And I think that is the thing that matters in all of this is that you need to understand how they contribute. True of people who have worked for incredible companies. Yes. Like, oh, this person was a senior leader. No offense to this company. This person was a senior leader at Airbnb. They must be incredible. Well, Airbnb had an incredible product to find a category and took off very, very fast. A lot of those things benefit people within certain roles within those companies. And so then they come into another company and they like have to do things that were much, much easier in a company that just took off. Like if you have a product that's very viral in nature, that just took off as a category leader, you might get people that really never had to like solve the hard problems. And that's why you have to go to social signals, right? Like 
Lenny from Lenny's podcast fame, who's coming on the pod soon. He famously was at Airbnb, right? And so if he is bringing any of those ex people on his pod or he's tweeting to them or whatever, like there are signals like that where you're like, oh, this person had to have played a key role. But it's like too often we just blindly take that at face value versus like doing the level of digging we need to. By the way, Lenny's coming on the podcast. He was a senior leader at Airbnb. And I feel bad that I used Airbnb (laughs) because Lenny is... Lenny is an amazing growth leader and now an incredible uh, content creator. So. I was going to say, Lenny is probably one of the best growth product people ever. But to your point, there were a bunch of product people there, right? And what you were trying right. to say is like, it's hard to distinguish without some it's additional hard to information. The company, yeah. the, it's the rub. It's yes. hard to distinguish what, like the rub they got from being at that company versus the work they did. Exactly. And that's, that's true of many companies. 100%. All right. I got one more for us for today's show, Karen. And this is a controversial one. I work at a CRM and marketing and sales technology company, but I think most people in marketing fail by putting their systems over their strategy. And what I mean by that is they let their systems dictate what work they can and can't do. They think that the thing that's stopping them from being successful is their systems. Systems are very important. If you think about it, you have three things as a, as a marketing leader that are really important. You have systems, you have process, you have strategy. I'm going to make the argument that the order of operations is strategy, systems, process, right? Not systems, process, strategy, which is often the case in many organizations, right? Strategy is the output of what your systems and process dictate. And instead, your systems and process needs to be the output of your strategy. That is the point I want to make. Do you agree or disagree? I would say that people would argue with you that they would love it to be that way, but often their systems dictate their strategy more than they want. I think their system dictates their tactics a lot, but I think your strategy can dictate what your systems and process are and should. Let me give you a theoretical example. Let's say my strategy was based upon being able to get my customers to actually recommend me to other customers. Referral. An incredible fast-growing product, virality. But to do that, I need certain data. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get a singular view of that customer because of my systems. Like I couldn't get Mm -hmm. all of the data in one place to be able to use it in an automated way. In that way, my system is going to dictate my strategy because what I want to do is not possible through my systems. And I can that's the only point that I, I actually do agree with that. I think you should really have a clear strategy. You should then be able to build systems around that and tactics. The only time that that breaks is when you want to do something and because of the stage you're at, like all these things are solvable. There's all of the tooling in the world today to fix these things. But some companies, I think they would argue that, hey, like we just don't have the systems to be able to do that yet. There was one company that I talked to in the early days, a tech company, and their marketing team wanted to send like emails. (laughs) They couldn't even send emails. So they get the security team to like sign (laughs) off and then the team had to send them. So like this does happen more than you probably think. Look, if if your security IT team blocks you from being able to do a tactic that that impacts your strategy, that's less of a systems thing, right? That's more of a your company's messed up kind of thing. And marketing can't kill a company that's already messed up, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could argue, sending emails is not the thing that's going to save that company in your example. It could could just make it worse. Like that company's (laughs) already screwed. It might be nuanced, Karen, but I I guess what I would push on is like, if your strategy is around customer referrals, you can still do customer referrals. They might be shittier customer referrals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can still do it, but the systems impact how well you can do it, not what your strategy actually is. Don't use your system as an excuse. Don't use your team design as an excuse. If you can, you know, figure out how to put things in place and neither of those things are used by excusing your teams, by your teams, you're going to be much more successful. Yeah, if, if something's not working, say, what are my strategy and my goals? And once you have clear strategy and goals, what are the system changes I need to make this happen? And then what is the process that needs to happen with all the people involved to make that happen, right? Like that's the right 
way to approach this versus like, oh, I throw my hands up in the air. I can't do this couple of things I want to do. And then I'm just going to give up, go yeah. back and kind of reset. I'm going to sit in every meeting and whinge about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Those are five things that I think can really kill a brand, kill a company, kill a marketing team. Kieran, I think, agrees with some of them, disagrees with some of them. We had a nice, healthy, healthy debate. We would love it if you put your comments on where you stand on any of these issues down in the YouTube video. Would love that. And again, remember, we are here giving you this amazing education for free. Your donation back to us would be a lovely like, subscribe on the video. We would love to have that. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll see you real soon on Marketing Against the Grain.